Welcome to Ambo TV. Each week we bring you dynamic sermons from next generation pastors from across the country. And as always, they're bringing a fresh new style to the Word of God. And then we discuss them right here in studio. I'm your host, Dean. Hashtag Always Blessed Windsor. And today we have a great show for you. We have sermons from New York, Montana, and Florida that are sure to bless you. And first up is Pastor Aaron Hickson of Northridge Church in Rochester, New York. And he's kicking off their new sermon series on the Apostle Paul, who Pastor Aaron calls the GOAT, G-O-A-T. If you've been watching Ambo, then you know what the GOAT means. Stick around and hear how Pastor Aaron uses Paul's life as a model on how to live a life of faith. He also sneaks in a little Kanye in there, and I can't wait to talk about this because this is kind of my subject and my topic. So next, we're going to go to Kalispell, Montana, to Fresh Life Church, and they have a guest preacher, Bianca Althoff. There, she's talking about how not to make your life suck. And I mean, who couldn't use some of that advice? She comes from a favorite book here at Ambo TV, the book of Ruth. Ruth's life was hard, but how she chose to deal with it affected the rest of humanity. This is an encouraging message on why you must keep going. And lastly, we go to Cape Coral, Florida with Pastor Corey Demmel at Cape Christian Church. He's sitting down with this message to start their series called who is this man? Which looks at the life of Jesus. This is a great teaching sermon on the person and legacy of Jesus the Christ. He has some great nuggets in it, so you're going to want to stick around. And I'll be joined in studio by Minister Shana Utse of I Am The Way Church of Christ right here in Brooklyn, New York. She's there to help me break down these sermons. We'll get back to her a little later. But right now, let's go to New York with Pastor Aaron Hickson at Northridge Church. But hey, you guys know what the phrase or the, the term the GOAT is, right? Have you heard of that? It means the greatest of all time. It's an acronym. Well, and people love talking about like what is or who is the GOAT. Okay? They're always talking about like who's the, great, who's the GOAT quarterback or is LeBron the GOAT or which musician is the GOAT or whatever. People are always debating this. They always have super strong opinions and it's kind of fun to like get people angry about it. Anyway, that's another conversation. But um, I think, you know, it's kind of fun to think about who might be the greatest of all time. Every area, everything, arena of life probably has a goat. Um, and, and I think if, that if there's somebody who's in the running to potentially have been the greatest of all time at a particular task, they are probably somebody that we should want to learn from, right? They might have some tips or tricks that we could benefit from, whether it's leadership or sports, or, you know, whatever your thing is. I don't know if it's sleep training infants. Um, you can tell what stage of life I'm in. Um, or exercise, or the stage of life I'm not in, <laughs> whatever. Um, there, we go to the source and try to learn from the best. Um, I'm trying to get better at woodworking, so I watch a bunch of YouTube videos, because there's some of the, so probably amazing, some of the best woodworkers are putting out content on how to get better, so I like to learn from them. Um, all young quarterbacks, man, they watch film of Tom Brady, because he's the GOAT, and... No, nothing? No, it's just nothing? Okay. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. No, it's just fine. It's, no, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's fine. No, I mean, seriously, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. No, but anyway, yo, he's, he's, in some people's opinion, the greatest of all time at his position, so people want to learn from him. But then at the end of the day, this series is actually all about one of the goats of Christianity, because Paul is the goat of spreading the message of Jesus. Like, he was unbelievable at this. Paul, or Saul, he's got two names, he'll be called by both throughout this series. He was an early church leader who was the best, the greatest of all time, about telling the world about Jesus. He traveled all over the world. 50-plus cities are mentioned in the New Testament alone. He wrote 13, possibly 14 of the books in the New Testament. I mean, 
honestly, probably everything you know about Christianity, if it didn't come from Jesus, it probably came from Paul. And I'm not like bashing the other early church leaders. I'm just saying like nobody did more traveling or writing or really anything than Paul. He was God's chosen instrument to get this movement going global. He's the GOAT. So if you want to learn from those who are the best in any area, I think that we're going to have to learn from Paul. And if we're going to have to learn from him, I think we're going to have to find out a little bit more about how he did his thing, if we're going to learn. But you might be thinking, okay, why? Right? I mean, I'm not planning to become a missionary, so why do I need to be, why do I need to be learning from Paul? And I would say, first of all, you're wrong about that, but we'll talk about that in just a, little bit, just a minute. But the other thing that I think should motivate us to want to learn from Paul and follow his example is he literally told us to, okay? So in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, it says this. This is Paul writing, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul literally told us to copy him. So if you're the kind of person who just prefers that somebody shoot straight with you, there it is. You should do it because Paul said that you should do it. He is a man worth learning from. I mean, think about this for a second. At first, Paul was famous for pushing people away from Jesus as hard as he could. And then, to everyone's surprise, he became one of the biggest influencers toward Jesus ever. All right, this would be like a super famous musician, like, I don't know, like a rapper or something, um, who was maybe known for being kind of vulgar and maybe blasphemous, uh, like placing their faith in Christ. You know, I'm just hypothetically. And then producing like Christian music, for instance. That'd be kind of crazy, right? If, if that sort of a thing happened. Um, have you guys heard of Kanye? Um, okay. <laughs> I would assume for said hypothetical artists that it would be very difficult at first, right? I mean, they don't fit in in either world. Christians are going to be super skeptical, right? People that he used to hang out with are going to be like really confused, like what in the world is going on right now? But somebody that influential, if they made a change that big, I mean, that could end up being a pretty big deal, right? You right? Yeah. If you Google Kanye, if you don't know what I'm talking about, right? Um, but, But this is not our main point today. But I just got to say, if you're having a hard time believing Kanye that he's legit, and I, I get that. If you're having a hard time believing him because he used to say bad words in his songs, imagine what the early Christians felt like accepting a guy as one of their leaders who used to kill them, okay? I recognize that it's not the same, but I think that this moment with Kanye West gives us something to consider as Christians of the gravity of Paul's change, how skeptical some Christians might be feeling right now, understandably, How crazy would it have been for Paul? Anyway, probably going to come up on the podcast this week. All right, anyway. But Paul overcame those odds, all right? God used him, and Paul is worth copying. So where do we start, all right? What can we learn that would change the way that we do things today? Now, obviously, we cannot possibly cover every single thing about Paul's life in any one day. That's crazy. But instead, I'm just going to make four observations about how Paul did his thing, and then we can pull some lessons from those observations, okay? Oh, yeah, it's going to be that kind of show today. Uh, Minister Shana Utse joining me. Thank you so much for coming back. <laughs> Thank you for having me again. All right, we're going we're gonna to get right into this right now. Uh, Pastor Aaron is comparing the Apostle Paul or comparing Kanye to the Apostle Paul. And, mm-hmm. you know, both kind of hostile towards the church in the beginning and then had these radical conversions. Do you think it's, it's a fair comparison between Paul and, and Kanye? Well, I've heard some of the same narratives. I do not think that um, 
Kanye West is at all comparable to <laughs> Paul, um, even in his um, former stages before coming into Fellowship with Christ. He has songs like Jesus Walks. He mm -hmm. even made references to his faith through his relationship with his mom. Mm -hmm. And so he has a, a background in the church, but the extent of Paul's life is nowhere near close to the extent of how Kanye has transitioned and what he has done prior to his fellowship with Christ. So I don't think it's a fair comparison. Okay, so not a fair comparison, but still in all, I mean, the, the work that he's doing now, and I mean, even getting Jesus, you mentioned Jesus Walks. That yeah. is, he got Jesus's name on secular radio, which I don't think has ever been done, especially in hip hop, <laughs> to have Jesus as a song on secular radio. I mean, he has, so he's done some stuff. We can't really compare him to somebody that's kind of traveled the world yet yes. to minister. Yes. So we still have yet to see some more from Kanye, hopefully. Yes. All right, cool. So that's what we're going to do. Right now, we're just going to kind of hold back. We're going to sit back and we're going to we're going to watch Kanye and hope he can live up to Pastor Aaron's uh comparison, yeah. right? All right, it seems fair enough. But now, moving forward kind of, you know, uh, away from that a little bit. I think Paul or Saul has, you know, one of the coolest stories, mm -hmm. you know, sure. comparable to Peter. Well, I'm excited to see if Pastor Aaron addresses that and uh, picks up where he left off a little later. But we'll be right back with more Ambo TV. Welcome back to Ambo TV, bringing you next generation pastors from across the country. Before the break, we were checking out Pastor Aaron Hickson, but right now I want to get to guest pastor Bianca at Fresh Life Church. Let's go ahead and check her out. I'm so tired of people saying, well, the Bible's boring. No, boo-boo, you boring, okay? So this is how I hear Naomi say, don't call me, sweetheart. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. And isn't that what happens when we feel like death has creeped in. And it's not just physical death, it's spiritual death, emotional death, maybe it's the death of a relationship, death of a dream, death of a business, death of a home, death of a marriage. Death and life just sucks. My fear is that far too many spiritual people on platforms much like this, behind pulpits much like this, will say, being bitter is bad. Hebrews talks about bitterness is bad. Ephesians says a bitterness is bad. It's bad. Don't you know that all things work out for good for those who love the Lord? Listen, I understand Romans 8.28, but right now, it doesn't feel good. I'm questioning the goodness of a good God. And maybe you're on this road and you feel like your life has sucked. I want to give us some practical handles out of the book of Ruth. Number one, if you're taking note, your end just might be your beginning. My dad has said this ever since I was a child. I'm hearing it more and more. But as a child, I remember my dad saying, if you are not dead, then God is not done. And even though they didn't know their lives, though pockmarked with pain and injustice, they didn't know that God had something on the horizon for them in the same way that you don't know that God has something great on your horizon. In their loss, in their tragedy, in their ache, in their pain, they had no clue that through that, God was going to do something impossible. And through that, we today get to stand on the promise of salvation because of their sacrifice and their loss. 
Look at chapter two, verse one. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Yes. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let us go to the fields and uh, let me go to the fields and pick up whatever leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I have favor. Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. There's a lyric from Florence and the Machine. It says, it's always darkest before the dawn. These women had went back to Bethlehem without two pennies to rub together. They were childless, husbandless, and hopeless. And yet chapter two enters with someone new on the scene. Contrary to Malon and Kilion, whose name means sick and dying, Boaz comes onto the scene and his name means strength. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. And I want to clarify because sometimes Hebrew feels difficult. His name is Boaz, not cheap as, lying as, or beat your ass. It is Boaz, okay? In the words of salt and pepper, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Yes, he is. Let me take a minute or two to give much respect to. Okay, we'll stop because we're in the house of God. On the brink of starvation, Ruth asked to get a job. And I love that even though her life totally sucked, she was still willing to be responsible and go to a place where otherwise would have rejected her and looked at her differently and judged her and quite possibly even hated her. I want us to pull out this powerful principle from Ruth's playbook, because when life sucks, don't quit. All right, Pastor Bianca with some real interesting yes. points and, and an interesting way of delivering sermon. I love it though, it's, it's energetic. Um, <laughs> I've, you know, and look, the hip hop references are my thing. So, you know, Pastor, you got to chill, EPMD 1989. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like we touch, you know, Ruth is such an important part of the Bible and, and such a key part of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we touch on her at least once a month. Okay. So uh, aside from Pastor's point of, you know, not giving up, are there any other like life lessons that we can pull from Ruth's story? I think the story definitely encapsulates how to have a relationship. Okay. We only look at it from a space of what she did, but if you look at it in a global landscape, she kind of emulated how we should behave in relationships. She looked at the situation and she positioned herself. And I think the the main idea from this is commitment. Okay. And in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that if you commit your plans to the Lord, um, your works will be established. Okay. And the more committed she was, at the end, she was established. This is true. And I mean, it's, it's also kind of um, confusing to me, too, the way, you know, that Ruth kind of um, comes about. You know, the way her story is just even addressed. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like I need a pastor or a minister to kind of explain it to me. Is that is that normal or is that like kind of a regular thing? No, that's a regular thing because we're kind of driven by what seems to be popular thought. Okay. And sometimes the popular thought doesn't always align with the biblical word of God. And so when we look at scripture, it is a really great navigational tool for how to relate how to think and how to behave in all kind of variant spaces. So she definitely teaches how to relate, but more so to stay committed because you can't be in a relationship unless you're committed. 
All right, that makes sense to me. And right now, I want to go ahead and throw it over to Pastor Corey Demo in Cape Coral, Florida. Let's go ahead and check him out. Now, he says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, Paul wasn't trying to make a political statement about sexuality or gender identity or, or, or nationality. What he's saying is there's a new idea that there's something that brings us together, and never in the history of the world has there been something that brought us together like this idea of anybody who places their faith in Christ, we're all one together. Now, they used to be known for what they were, set, that they were set apart for. Now there's something that Paul is saying we're known as, as, as being brought together. Now we live about two and a half hours south of the most wonderful place in the world, the most magical place in the world, right? Disney World, right? And so uh, there was this really famous ride at the World Fair that Walt Disney thought would be a great thing to bring to Disneyland and Disney World. And it's the ride called It's a Small World. And it's one of those that by the time you get off of it, like that song is stuck in your head and you want to pull your hair out and you're like, ah, and, and it's a small world. And the idea was, you, you know, you get in this thing and you go around and you hear the same song, but you hear it in different languages and it has a little bit of a different flavor music and they're dressed a little different. And you keep going around and you're like, oh, it's over. And then it's not. There's still another culture. And then, oh, and then you, take, you make another turn. And you're like, oh, this must be the end. And then, no, now it's the African area. And then, oh, now it's the islands. And now it's the Hispanic. And it's this idea that the same song is being sung in many different languages with many different flavors, but they're singing the same song, right? It's a small world after all. Don't sing it. Some of us are going to get stuck in our head. Where did this idea originate? It originated with a guy who said, actually, the world is a smaller than we think, and there's a place where everybody can come together of every gender and every nationality and every status. In fact, let me ask it this way. Where before the church was there ever a movement that actively and intentionally, think about this, actively and intentionally sought to include every single human being regardless of nationality, ethnicity, status, wealth, gender, background, education. Where before the church was there an idea of, hey, rather than let's talk about what separates us, let's actively and intentionally include everyone and for the, for the purpose of to be loved, included, and transformed. So let me just say as a pastor, as much as the church has gotten it wrong and we have gotten it wrong, I'm, I'm compelled to give my life to following a Jesus who was about bringing people from every race, tribe, tongue, and nation together for the sake of being included, being in love, and being transformed by the love of God. I'm all in. As messed up as it is, I'm all in. In fact, here's how crazy this is. Before Jesus, not only had there never been a community like this before, there had never even been the idea of a community like this before. Nobody had this idea of let's bring people together. It was always about let's identify ourselves by what separates us. And we still have this challenge today. In fact, what's beautiful to me is as I look around this room right now, I see it. I see different colors. I see different nationalities. I see different ba backgrounds. I see even different languages. Every weekend, there are people that come to our church that their first language isn't English. It might, be, uh, uh, it might be Mandarin or Cantonese. It might be Spanish. It might be German. It might be Ukrainian, Slovakian, Russian. We have one of the top things I love to brag about my church, and I brag about you everywhere I go, is I say every weekend I get to stand on stage and I get to see a picture of heaven. 
because we're multiple generations, multiple ethnicities, multiple genders, where every trunk, tribe, and nation, we come together. I mean, we have black, white, brown, Asian, Hispanic, young, old, uh, male, female, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. And, and this is a picture of heaven. And we, it, what's cool to me is we don't even think about it. It's just what it is. I'm really feeling Pastor Corey's sermon today. And, uh, you know, so the story goes that, you know, Peter established the first church yeah. and it was the Catholic church and Catholic meaning universal, yes. you know, all embracing. Why we moved away from that, it seems. And why did we kind of segregate ourselves into these denominations? And, you know, can we get back to that? universal, you know, <laughs> umbrella? Is that even possible? Sure, it's possible. Um, I'm just thinking about historically, uh, during the colonial era, we had a lot of segregation going on. Okay. And the most easiest route to do such a thing was in faith and religion. Mm. And some time ago, I think folks still don't realize that some of those tenants still exist. Mm. And so we have the division and we have the denomination factor. Okay. Um, if we think about it, as I always think of in a collective perspective. If someone prefers a storefront church, that's their community that they identify with, that's fine. That doesn't make them less of a follower of Christ. If someone prefers to go to a cathedral because they like architecture or the space, that's totally fine. That doesn't make them less of a believer of Christ. However, what the issue is, is we forget to come together. The Bible tells us forsake ourselves not to come together. Okay. And I think people think of it as coming to your home church, mm. but it's extended to think about all of us as a body. Don't forget to come together. Don't forget to assemble yourself. Don't forget to go to the cathedral and say, hey, I see you're doing this work in the community. We do this over here. Can we come together? Let's not forsake each other. See, this sounds like a perfect message. Let's not <laughs> forsake each other. Let's not segregate ourselves. Let's come back together. That's how it's supposed to be. And on that note, we're going to be right back with more Ambo TV. Welcome back to Ambo TV, bringing a fresh new style to the Word of God. Before the break, we were checking out Pastor Corey Demmel, but right now I want to get back to Pastor Aaron Hickson. Let's go ahead and check him out. Third fact, Paul worked a normal job. Paul worked a normal job. Remember he met Priscilla and Aquila while he was making tents? Here he's talking with some friends from Ephesus. This is kind of a, an excerpt from a time he was talking with these friends in Acts 20, and it says this. He says, look, I haven't coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Throughout Paul's whole ministry, even when it would have been totally legit for him to get paid for doing his work, something he actually encourages future pastors to do, he personally chose not to do that so he could never be accused of being just in this whole thing for the money. He never received like a standard paycheck for doing ministry. He always supplied his own needs. So think about this for a second because we have to kind of deconstruct what we might be imagining. This is not a guy sitting in his office like pouring over the books. This is not a guy who could do hospital visits in the middle of the day because his schedule was free. He was working his whole life around the fact that he had a mission to accomplish. His occupation was just a means of supporting his real mission in life. 
So if you're here today at any of our campuses or watching online and you don't work for Northridge Church, your life looks more like Paul's than mine does. It really does. Your life looks more like Paul's than mine does because my family, our needs are met through the generosity of the people of Northridge Church. My wife and I feel so blessed by the privilege of being able to have our whole my vocation go into this. And we're also thrilled to be able to give right back into this mission together. It's such a privilege. But Paul never had that luxury. He never did. And I think that's so important for us to know. It has a few, I think, huge implications for us as we think about our lives. And the first one is just this, that there actually is no such thing as a normal job. There's no such thing. Sometimes, you know, I'll have friends that will say like, well, yeah, I mean, you're a pastor. I just work a normal job. No, 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 no. Like there's no such thing that, does, that doesn't exist. That's not a thing. There's no such thing as a normal job. And the reason is because there's no such thing as a normal person. We are all eternal beings. There are no ministry jobs and secular workplaces. All of that, it doesn't, there's no difference, okay? Anything we do for a paycheck is really just so that we can make a difference in the lives of the people that God has put around us. If you see your job as something you just do, but your volunteer role on Sunday morning as like your ministry, I think you've got it twisted. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Your whole life is ministry. And since you spend the majority of your life at work, I would recommend that you see it as vital that you see your job as a mission field, as an opportunity. I mean, Paul definitely did. Paul always did. And it leads me to another thing that I think we need to learn, and that is that your occupation creates access. It creates access. You're at that desk for a reason. You've been assigned that client for a reason. Nothing is an accident. So don't treat the next customer that you're asked to serve as a task. They are a person in need of the ministry that God has allowed you to bring into their life. If you feel like your passion for Pi Squared is a little bit low right now, Start praying for every person that your job allows you to interact with, and I think that you'll find that there's a lot of people with needs that need hope. So this is something I think we all kind of, uh, or most people struggle with, um, going to work, just showing up for a mm -hmm. paycheck. I'm just here for a check. I'm just here. Yeah. You know, uh, people like us and, and, and people that are on the show, we're lucky to have jobs in service mm -hmm. of the Lord. Um, but still, I have things I do on the side. I still do graphic design for, yeah, for local businesses sure. and stuff like that. So I guess what I'm driving at here is how do we find, like, how do we look for those ways to kind of minister through our professions? I think any place and any space that you inhabit is an opportunity to minister. Ministry is not necessarily preaching. Ministry is illustrating and demonstrating, Okay. right? So when we look at the life of Christ, even his walk, or pilgrimage through a certain town, that was ministry, um, that was illustration, that was demonstration. So if you just show up, sometimes that's the ministry within itself, especially right. when it pertains to certain jobs. <laughs> but if you really just be your true authentic self in a public square, that is ministry. Okay, and we were just talking about because I said because he said nothing's a regular job, and yeah. I was saying yeah, well, when I worked at Dunkin' Donuts, that kind of felt <laughs> regular to me. But then, you know, as I just looking at you, and I don't know why it made me think that, you know what, I, I did, I kind of helped a little bit. There were people that I used to try to help out, and 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 you were saying, right, that, yeah, it's you 
took an opportunity to serve yes. outside of your job description. Yes. And that is what ministry is, is going outside of normalcy, going outside of the status quo, going outside of regular tendencies, is being that super on your natural. Right. So you did a supernatural thing by yeah. feeding the homeless with whatever was left at the Dunkin' Donuts camp. All right, that's great. Uh, right now, though, I want to go ahead and throw it back to Pastor Bianca at Fresh Life Church. Let's go ahead and check her out. At the end of the book, there's something called the genealogy. It's basically like a Hebrew phone book. Like, it's your daddy's, 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 daddy's line so that we all know the heritage and history of our family. The story didn't end with baby Bo Obed. In fact, pick this up, the final verses of chapter 4. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Minadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Sal, it is Salmon, okay? I know Salmon in America, but Salmon in Hebrew. Uh, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, as in King David. Obed was King David's grandpa, but it doesn't stop there. The next time we see the name of Ruth, it's in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4, and it's in the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, from Boaz to Obed, from Obed to Jesse, from Jesse to David, from David to Jesus. Ruth is a reminder that it's not what has been dealt to you, but what you do with what's been dealt to you. And I say this as a first-generation American of Latino descent who was obese and couldn't read, write, or spell at the age of 12. I was a product of East Los Angeles, California. I would repeat the generational patterns of everyone living on the concrete jungles. But God, under-resourced and overlooked, but God, marginalized, ostracized, overlooked, but God. Ruth left us a legacy that I want to emulate and I want to copy. That even when life sucks, you don't have to. And this idea of biblical legacy includes our contribution to the next generation. The art that you create, the songs that you write, the children that you rear, the churches that you build, the businesses that you go into, the scientific contribution that you add, the poems that you write, the classrooms that you impact. It has a lasting effect. And Ruth knew with every decision, every trial that she overcame, every promise that she held onto, every tribulation that she withstood, she was building a foundation of faith for the next generation. Our decisions have a ripple effect on the next generation. You are creating a legacy one way or another, whether you want to or not. So the question I ask you, are you building a good legacy? And this idea of, of, of legacy isn't leaving a mansion or a million dollars for a kid. Biblical legacy is that we can find ordinary acts that we do every single day. And when placed in the hands of an extraordinary God, we will leave something beautiful in our wake. We make decisions about the now that we forget about the later. I'm going to bring the band up. And I feel like in this moment, we must hold on to the simple truth that when we give our life away, not only will we be walking in the ways of God, I dare to say that your life will be more purposeful, that your purpose will be found in this understanding that, that Ruth knew, that Jesus knew, that Paul knew, that Esther knew, that when trial and tribulation and trauma, that in the midst of that, their purpose was proven when they gave their life away, when they gave things that were so needed in their life. Ruth gave away her food so others can live. Esther gave away her power and prestige so that others can live. 
I love that, 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 that Paul the apostle gave up his prominence and his power so that others can find life through Jesus Christ and live. I love that Jesus gave his life up so that we can give. And if you don't want your life to suck, give your life away because you might just be one day away from stepping into the right field at the right time with the right people and letting your destiny come. All right, Pastor Bianca putting, uh, you know, I want to, go back to when she was talking about uh, Ruth's lineage and yeah. she goes all the way to David. Yes. So is, are we not putting enough emphasis on the legacy that, that we kind of, you know, build for our children and, and our future generations? Should we be paying a lot more attention to what we're doing? Yeah, definitely. Um, living a life in Christ is very purposeful. Okay. So when you think about legacy, it's also connected to purpose. So if you're living a purpose-driven life, there's a high possibility that you're gonna leave a legacy. Mm. And so when you're doing things every day that are intentional, you should be conscientious about what are the furtherance of it. How's this gonna impact not just me, but my family, my community, uh, the places that I go, the infrastructures that I engage with. So it's very important to put a lot of emphasis on the future as it relates to purpose living because the Bible tells us that we're supposed to leave a legacy. Mm. And in order for you to do that, you have to be purposeful. All right, so purpose-driven. Yes. Yeah. So and the other thing she starts talking about is giving and, and you know, just kind of giving away. Yeah. Like, and not giving away your life as in giving away like, your, right. but I mean, self-sacrifice is a huge part of this legacy mm -hmm. that, that we have to leave, right? Mm -hmm. uh, self-sacrifice also is a, uh, Representation, representation of purpose living because when you do things, you have to be mindful of it. And we have this whole big theme now about mindfulness and being conscientious, but that's spiritual practicing, to be very mindful of every decision you make and to think further about what it can do. Um, I'm often reminded about how we always were taught growing up, think before you speak, mm -hmm. right? So if you think before you speak, then that also would instruct us to think before we do things. So the more you think, the more direct, the more purposeful, um, the more beneficial your works and your thoughts can become. All right, makes perfect sense to me. See, you should listen to your mom. She knew what she was talking about. <laughs> and that being said, we're gonna be right back with more MOTV. Welcome back to Ambo TV, home of next generation pastors. Before the break, we were listening to Pastor Bianca, but right now I want to get back to Pastor Corey Demel in Cape Coral, Florida. Take a shot at which university in the United States that this statement comes from their student handbook originally. This is written in their student handbook about what they believe to be true about education and God. Let's see if Jesus had an impact on education in our early years. Let every student, it says, be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Which, by the way, is a direct quote from John 17, chapter, chapter 17, verse 3. And therefore, the student handbook goes on to say, to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Guess what school said that? Harvard. And then Yale adopted it and Brown. 
In fact, 92% out of the first 138 colleges and universities in America were begun by followers of Jesus with that idea in mind. I'd say we've maybe fallen away from that a tad bit. But who, who, it was all because of a, a carpenter from Jesus who valued education and science and children and learning and said, let them come to me and everybody matters that this idea was born. Now the gospels are translated in over 2,200 languages and there is no other book that comes close to the Bible as far as how many manuscripts there are, how many languages it's put in and it's widespread around the world. Why? Because the story of this man just won't go away because he is the man that just won't go away. People ask me often, are you worried about where America's heading? Absolutely. Are you worried for Christianity? No. Because if I were worried for Christianity, that would mean I would be worried that Jesus didn't know what he was doing. And while it's not going well in America, if you go to Africa or you go to China or you go to some of these South, uh, South American countries, the church is exploding with hope about this man named Jesus. The comfort gospel hasn't hit third world countries yet. We don't even have time to talk today about the arts. We probably will a little bit more in one of these other weeks. But without the arts, Jesus had more of a profound impact on the arts and music and, and, and painting and, and all than, than perhaps any other person in history. Without Jesus, there's no Martin Luther. There's no King James who, along with Shakespeare, shaped the English language. There's no Bach who dedicated his work to the glory of God, which means no Hallelujah Chorus. There's no Mar Mozart Requiem. There's no Sistine Chapel. There's no Da Vinci's Last Supper. There simply has been no transcendent vision of reality that has gripped the artistic imagination like the vision of this carpenter from Nazareth. Who is this guy? Who was this man? Jesus changed political theory. He changed human rights. He changed our idea of justice. In fact, one nation even wrote this in one of their documents, their founding documents. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Our Declaration of Independence. Yet, if you think about what it says, it says, we declare that it is self-evident that all men were created equal by their creator and have certain rights. This certainly was not self-evident to the Goths. This certainly was not, this certainly was not self-evident to the Nazis in the 40s. This certainly was not evident to any caste system in history or any society. It came from the idea that all human beings have been made by a good God in his image and for the purpose of being loved by him. In fact, Thomas Cahill says this is the first expression of egalitarianism in human history where all men are created equal. Jesus introduced this idea. Again, there wasn't just a group not doing it. There was never a group that had even thought of it that there is a God and he's a God of love, that this God is a God of love has never been said by any other God other than Jesus. There's no other God, there's no other world religion that their God claims to just be this loving, grace-filled God who will do all the work so that, you can come to, so that you don't have to come to them, but he will come to us. It isn't just history. The best part is it can become your story. Almost every day when I come home, the garage door goes up and if I make it into the door from the garage, uh, my daughter, Madison, who's almost nine, she comes around and says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy's home. So often she'll come out into the garage. If I'm on the phone, she'll like tip the cap and wait for me to come inside uh, or she'll come to the garage and often I'll pick her up and I'll hug her. And, and the reality is as she gets older and bigger and I get older and weaker, I'm not going to be able to pick her up forever. <laughs> I'll always be excited to see her, but I'm never gonna be able to do that. But see, there is one who never grows too old. There is one who never grows weary or too weak. 
And he's always looking forward to seeing and being with his children. A lot of people, they say that they believe in a God of love. You know where this idea came from? Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, his, his message of inclusion and everybody and children and women and education and getting rid of the caste system. In fact, this was his, this was his message. News got out quick. And in fact, that message, this idea got him in a ton of trouble with the powers of his day. So much so that the powers of Rome and the religious of the, that he belonged to decided it was best to just get rid of this guy because God knows where this is going to go. And so they, had, they thought the best idea was to kill him. And so he went to a cross, and there he died as the ultimate expression of sacrifice and love and goodness of this God that he claimed to represent. And three days later, against all odds, he raised again, and this movement arose with him and has been growing exponentially ever since the day he rose from the grave. Who is Jesus? I think it, you could make a case that Jesus is the hinge of history, that Jesus is the hope of all the oppressed, He's the inspiration of the despairing, that he is perhaps the king of kings, that he is perhaps the Lord of lords, that he is perhaps the greatest teacher that ever lived, the greatest mind that ever thought. He, great, he started the greatest movement that ever started. He offered the greatest gift that has ever been given. He alone mastered life. He alone conquered death. He alone became sin. He alone, alone destroyed guilt so that you could know your position in heaven. In my estimation, he is the son of God and he is the savior of the world. That's who this man is to me. I love the tail end of uh, Pastor Corey's sermon here because you know, he's right. Um, architecture, you know, art and, and music and, and all of these amazing and wonderful things that Christ inspired. You know, to me, it, it does kind of feel like now we're, we're falling a little bit away from that in the secular world anyway. Um, but what do we do? Do, do, we, do we combat it or do we just like kind of let it happen as it's God's plan? I think there isn't actually a combating, because that sounds like a fight, okay. but I'm thinking more so on the lines of controlling the narrative. Okay. And the Bible tells us to thine own self be true. Right. And in your trueness, in your true state, that is when you can be real about what's going on. So you don't actually have to combat it, just be. Mm -hmm. Be purpose in motion, exist. Um, if you're into the arts, use that platform to exist in your greatest deity that God has blessed you artistically. Mm -hmm. If you're in education, use that platform to be a great teacher and instill some really great foundational truths in the lives of the youth and young adult. Whatever platform that you're standing in, that is the space where you're gonna emanate light and you're gonna reflect his light mm -hmm. because you are purpose-driven, you are on target with your faith, and you're on target with your truth. I love that, and I love the idea of controlling the, nav the, the narrative, excuse me, because there's this, um, there's this weird you know, vibe within Christianity and especially within younger Christians that there are certain things you can't do. Mm -hmm. You know, but you, you can, you absolutely can, you know, get into the arts. And yeah, definitely. Use kind of, do you believe, now I subscribe to this belief, but you know, that we can be a part of popular culture while also kind of influencing it through Christianity. Oh, definitely. You can, like I said, we're all about community. Church is community. Okay. And so when you think about the church, it is in all areas and lengths and breadths of the world, even in places it's not supposed to be. <laughs> Right. Okay, yeah. So wherever there's church, there's community and that's influence. Right. Just being is influence. All right. I love it. So we can kind of uh, still have a presence on mm -hmm. social media and uh, yeah, just be 
be an influencer. It's not that hard of a, a thing to do. Love Christ and, and, and just kind of spread love and spread the word. And you're doing Christ's work. And you're not, it's not a bad thing, right? No, not at all. Not at all. All right. <laughs> with that being said, we'll be right back with more Ambo TV. if we came to a point in our life where we realized that even though my life sucks for this moment, I don't have to because my God is with me. How would it change our perspective in our life? I once heard uh, an ancient Hebrew scholar talk about this fascinating concept. Uh, she said that in ancient Hebrew, there is no word for tragedy. Why? Because ancient Hebrews did not believe that if a situation wasn't redeemed, then God wasn't done. It's never done. And uh, as we do at the end of our show with our short clip, I'd like to ask our guests to give the people at home a Bible passage to kind of go along with that. Do you have something to share? Sure. All right. Uh, looking at the clip, I'm reminded of a uh, verse in the book of Colossians where it says, God is before all things, and by him all things consist. Uh, we have to be mindful that no matter what we're doing, where we're going, God is before us, and it is by him that the consistencies in our life actually exist. All right. I love that. Minister Shana, thank you so much for joining us. Please come back again. Promise. Yes, I'll come Will back you? again. I Yay. love it here. <laughs> All right. It's such a good time with you. And to our partnering churches, Fresh Life Church with guest Pastor Bianca, Northridge Church with Pastor Aaron, and Cape Christian Church with Pastor Corey. Thank you guys for those inspiring and amazing messages. To see complete sermons and other great sermons, head over to ambotv.com. We always have great content there for you guys. You can sign up for our daily newsletter. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Thank you guys so much for watching. Good night, and I'll see you next week.